Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon from Oak Hill Church in Humboldt, Iowa. We pray that it helps you to know Christ, grow in Christ, and sow Christ wherever you are. For more information about who we are and what we're doing, go to oakhillhumboldt.org. Father, that's our prayer, that you would build your church, you would build your kingdom to the whole world is filled with your glory. In Christ's name, amen. This past week, I was walking around our new education building, and I was just reminded of what it took to get to this place where this building has been completed. Uh, Maybe you remember uh, some of the pictures here from uh, the building process and the waiting I remember uh, packing just kids into hallways and stairwells and wherever we could put kids on our Wednesday night uh, for our seeds ministry, and it's it's completed, and I'm so grateful, all the preparation and the planning and the the generosity and prayers, and it was just wonderful to be reminded of, of that, and yet, as I was walking, I was thinking that God is building something even greater, isn't He? God is building something even greater. He is building his church, not not this physical building. He is building his church, his, his holy temple, his spiritual house, and he will do this. That's going to happen. That's his vision, and we get to be a part of it. Literally, we are a part of it. We are God's building, and we are part of the building process. What that means is that It matters how we build. It matters how we live to the overall strength and stability of our church in the days to come. And so we need each other. We need each other to grow together into the vision that God has for us. And so with that in mind, open up to 1 Corinthians if you're not there already. If you're new with us, we're in a series called Saints Together. We're walking through the book of 1 Corinthians together, and now we're We're at chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 10 to 17. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, the words will be up there on the screen in back of me. Chapter 3, verse 10. This is the Word of God. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, He will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. And so Paul, if you've been with us for a few weeks, he has started this church at Corinth. If you remember, the city of Corinth was a thriving metropolitan city, something upwards to 200,000 people, many different cultures represented at this port city. And so Paul 
thought it to be a strategic location to plant this new church. And so he was there in the initial stages, at its infancy. He planted this church and he laid the foundation. So he's piling up these metaphors to show that he was there at the beginning. He started the work by preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. People came to faith in Christ. And now what he's saying is, I want you to build on that foundation. I want you to continue to grow to maturity. And so we see in verse 5, he says, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted Apollos water, but God gave the growth. So what he's saying here is that I started the work. I moved on to Ephesus. Apollos has continued the work. He's your pastor now. He's continuing to build upon what I started. He's watering, but only God can give the growth. Now, in verse 9, he changes the metaphor from farming to building. Verse 9 says, For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. So Paul pictures himself now as a skilled architect. In verse 10, he says, According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, literally a wise architect, He says, I laid the foundation, I laid the groundwork for the gospel here in Corinth. And now he says, someone else is building upon it. I think he's referring to Apollos, who's continuing the work to build upon that foundation. And I think he's also thinking of the multitude of different teachers that are influencing the people at Corinth. In 1 Corinthians 4.15, Paul writes, for though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers, for I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And so he's aware of other guides who are influencing this church at Corinth, and he's telling them, hey, be careful how you build on that foundation. And he invites the entire church in verse 10, look at it at the end of it, let each one take care how he builds upon it. And so this is, this is the main point that I want to draw out, and it's for all of us. And it's this, be careful how you build. That's what Paul is, is enunciating here, be careful how you build. Look at verse 10 again. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. In other words, build diligently. Build God's church with diligence and with patience. And and having a mindset of being watchful about your teaching and about your living. Be aware that we can get easily off course here and go away from the foundation to walk away from the word of God. Take care. Build others up. Build yourself up on the foundation of Jesus Christ. So take care diligently, patiently, watchfully, and build solely on the person of Jesus Christ. Verse 11, he says, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So Paul is picturing the church not 
the building, but the people of God built upon the person and work of Jesus. We stand upon Christ and what he's done for us. And we can't assume the foundation, right? We just don't assume that, oh, yeah, 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 every foundation, every church is built upon Jesus. It's not. Just like sometimes we're uh, prone to forget the foundation of a building, right? We like the, the rooms that we are in, and that's where we live. We often forget that we're standing upon this foundation. And so Paul wants to remind us, hey, there's a foundation, Jesus Christ, and you don't bury it and move on to bigger and better things. You build upon that foundation. You keep building upon the work of Christ and what he's done for us. So it's solely on Jesus And then Paul reminds us it matters about the quality of the materials you use to build upon this foundation. Look at verse 12. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw. He's going to elaborate on this whole idea of building and how we can build well and how we can build poorly. He mentions these materials. First, if we're building well, we build with gold and silver and precious stones. This represents the, the valuable, lasting, enduring truth. And in the life that's lived in faithfulness to Christ, we're, we're building upon the foundation with these precious gospel gems, so to speak. Conversely, we can build poorly with wood, hay, and straw. This represents the, the worthless kind of uh, fading, unstable materials. I think he's speaking of the the teaching that can easily go off track from the gospel and lives that are mingled with the world. And so we have got to be aware that it's possible to have the right foundation and yet to build the wrong way. How are you building your life. How are you engineering your life and how are you building the church? That's what Paul's concern is here. By the way, the wood and the hay and the straw, what came to my mind is the three little pigs. I mean, I'm thinking that didn't go very well for those guys. So let's make sure we're building upon something solid, right? The gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's don't get into all this man-centered, like self-help fluff that can't be a rock for us to cling to and to continue to build upon. So main point again, be careful how you build. Be careful how you build, and now he's going to give three reasons why. Three reasons why. Here's the first reason. Be careful how you build. Why? It affects your eternity. It affects your eternity. Look at verses 13 to 15. Each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So first, what is this fire that he's speaking of? This is not a literal fire. This is not the fires of hell. And this is not in reference to purgatory. The Roman Catholic Church uses this verse to support the teaching of purgatory. If you're unfamiliar with the term purgatory, when someone dies, 
Supposedly, this is a holding tank for people to atone for their sins and to purify them to get them ready for heaven. That is a false teaching. That is not what this verse teaches here. By the way, in Hebrews 9.27, I don't have it up on the screen, it says, It is appointed unto men to die once and after that to face judgment. There is no holding tank. So this is not a literal fire. This is a metaphorical fire referring to God's judgment in Christ when he comes again. This is in reference to God's judgment in Christ when he returns. There is a reality of judgment for every one of us here in this room. Do you know that? Every one of us will be judged. And we know that Jesus is the judge. In John 5, 27, says this, And he, that's the Father, has given him, Jesus, authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. So Jesus is our judge that we are accountable to. And if we keep rejecting Jesus as our Lord and Savior, if we keep running our own life and we're trying as hard as we can to live our lives based upon our good works and we think that's going to merit our salvation, in the end, we're facing judgment for our sin. There is wrath that's coming towards everyone who has not believed and trusted in Christ as their Lord and Savior. It says in Romans 2.5, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. That is coming soon and no one here wants to face the wrath of a holy God. We must flee even now to Christ if that's you. Don't bank your life based upon your good works. It's not enough. You need Christ and his righteousness alone. And so trust in him. And yet this verse here, these verses are not speaking about that judgment. They're speaking about a different judgment, the judgment for us as believers in Jesus Christ. There is a judgment coming. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now, let me back up and explain because I don't want you to get off track because this is really crucial that you get this, so listen. The judgment that we deserve for our sin has been taken care of at the cross. If you're trusting in Christ alone today, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That judgment has been taken for you in full. So so he's not speaking about a judgment for believers. It's based upon our faith in Christ. That's been settled if we are believers in Jesus Christ. He's speaking about a judgment of works. Now hear me. These works have nothing to do with your salvation. Works don't determine your salvation. They demonstrate that you really are saved. And what he's speaking about here is this judgment that's coming where Christ is going to hand out rewards in heaven. Now, the judgment seat of Christ is known as the Bema seat, and I had the opportunity to go to Corinth and to see this 
uh, for myself. There was an actual place called the Bema. Go ahead and show the picture here. So this is a place that was used for two purposes. One, after a race, this would be the place where you would go to the, there would be rewards that would be handed out. And so it was a place for rewards to be given at the, at the Bema, at the judgment seat. It also served another purpose. It was a place where legal justice was disposed and dispersed. And so it served both to give rewards and to bring about justice. And so Paul is alluding to this because he knows the Corinthians know of this place. And so he's saying, hey, there are rewards coming to you, Christians, so it matters how you live today. Some of you think, well, hey, I'm forgiven of my sins, I'm going to heaven, why does it matter, you know? It does. Part of the motivation is we will receive rewards. Now, in these verses, he speaks about each one's work being manifest or brought to the light, disclosed and revealed on that day. He's referring to Christ's uh, second coming. On that day, everything's going to be revealed. And I think he's speaking mainly toward these teachers, these pastors, these shepherds who are perhaps leading God's people astray, and he's saying, hey, you are going to be accountable for your work, for what you're doing to build upon this foundation. And, and I was reminded in James chapter 3, verse 1 of this verse, where it says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. This verse applies first and foremost to pastors and teachers and elders who have a teaching ministry, a shepherding ministry, so I take it very seriously what I'm teaching and if I'm building upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. But I think it also refers to all of us who have a teaching ministry in this church with little ones, the littlest amongst us, with kids, with with students and adults, if you have a teaching ministry, you will be judged more strictly for your words. You will give an account for every word you've spoken. And so this is a good reminder for us that it matters what we teach and how we live. Paul says in verse 14 again, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. So if you build well, your work survives, you receive a reward. Conversely, verse 15, if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So if you build poorly and your work is burned up, you suffer loss. Literally, you'll be deprived of your reward. Now, notice it says here in verse 15, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So again, this is a believer in Jesus Christ and yet he's, he's building on this foundation in wrong ways. And so the, the, the picture that I have in my head is, is simply this. You wake up from a bad dream only to find that you're not in a dream. Your house is on fire. Someone rescues you, pulls you out of the fire, and you're saved and yet your whole house, everything you worked for, is consumed in flames. That's what he's speaking about here. You, you're saved, you're secure, but man, everything you did on this earth, all the teaching that you did, you're accountable for that, and it's going to be consumed if all it was was a worthless, unfaithful kind of teaching in living. 
And so this is kind of a warning, and he's going to get even more serious as we go. But as I'm listening to to Paul's words here, looking at them, I'm thinking, "What's what's he saying here? Like, I think all of us want to be treated the same, right, when it comes to heaven. I mean, this whole idea of rewards kind of messes with us because we're used to hearing this, hey, the gospel is about grace and, and works. Hey, just that's not part of your salvation. But there is a part to play in how our works um, will make a difference in the end. We want to be treated the same like little kids at Christmas. We want the same number of presents, right? We don't want our little brother getting more than we got. In some ways, we will be treated the same. The thief on the cross... The Apostle Paul, they both entered into glory. Both of them received the prize, right, of Jesus Christ. That's the main prize, by the way, is the person of Jesus. And yet, we will be treated differently in the sense that some will receive greater rewards and greater responsibility in heaven. It's hard for us to understand, but it's true. Jonathan Edwards pictured us, uses this imagery of cups. Maybe you've heard of this before. All of us will have like full cups of joy, you know, brimming over when we we get into heaven. And yet some may have bigger cups, all right? And it won't be like, like you're looking at your wife thinking, how come her cup's bigger than mine? That's no fair. You'll be like, that's awesome. Look at my wife. She's got this full cup and it's bigger than mine. And I'm so happy. I'm rejoicing with her in that. So there there won't be any jealousy about these gifts and these rewards and these responsibilities that we'll have in heaven. It's kind of exciting in some ways to think about your life matters today. Eternity is coming. So what are you doing to prepare for that? Are you taking stock of your life? And so number one, be careful how you build because it affects your eternity. Number two, Be careful how you build because it influences our entire church family. It influences our entire church family. Look at verse 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Do you not know? Paul uses this question 10 times in this letter as a mild rebuke. In other words, you ought to know by now. You ought to know who you are. This you is not singular, by the way, it's plural. Later on in chapter 6, we're going to see that you, singular, are the temple for the Holy Spirit to dwell. But here he's speaking about you, plural, are God's temple, and God's Spirit dwells in you, the church. We've got to keep reminding ourselves that the Bible is written to faith communities, not to isolated, disconnected individuals. Right? This is saints together, not individuals apart. We need each other. And I think he's using the temple imagery here because he knew Corinth was a place where there were many temples built to false gods and goddesses. And he's saying instead of going to the temple to find a god, God actually comes to the people and forms them into a temple for him to dwell. Isn't that incredible? 1 Peter 2.5, Peter writes something similar. He says, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And so God has joined us together in Jesus, and he's growing us together. We build each other up to maturity, and that gives glory to God. I love what one pastor said. He said this. The church 
is not a growing number of people. It's a number of people growing. That's helpful for us to remember. We're not here just to attract a big crowd. That's not what we're here for. The church is not a growing number of people. It's a number of people who are growing. We want you to grow deeper in the gospel. We want you to be built up and strengthened in the faith. God is doing that in us. So we need to be careful how we build and how we live. We can either tear each other down or build each other up. What you say, how you live, influences our entire church family. Hear me for a minute, listen to me. Sin is never in isolation. Sin is communal. It affects the whole family. Your secret sin affects all of us. Your resistance to grow affects all of us. Your sporadic attendance affects all of us. Let me say it positively. Not only is sin communal, your spiritual growth is communal. Your devotion to Jesus, your individual devotion to Jesus, affects the entire church family. Your faithfulness to Jesus, your service for Jesus, it affects the entire church family. We need one another. Man, I was reminded of that last night. We, we gathered together at uh, Andrew Fleury's, this group of men, and it was so encouraging for me just to have a meal together, uh, fellowship together, just encouraging conversations with one another. And guys, it was a reminder for me that men, you've been called to lead. You've been called to lead your wife. You've been called to lead your family, to be leaders in this church. And as the men go, so goes the church. And so guys... I'm praying that there would be a movement of men, that we would be excited and passionate for Jesus, and that would spill on over to the rest of our church family. I'm not minimizing the work of women in this church. Men, we desperately need you, and your example to us gives us renewed desire to follow hard after Christ, but we need each other in this. Man, we are, we are a one holy people growing together, and I think it starts with an awareness I mean, some of us, me included, kind of uh, humbles me to, to admit this. I can come in on a Sunday morning, and I've got a lot of thoughts about me. How about you? What I got to get done, uh, what I got to say, what's coming later on in the day. And I wonder if that's true for you. Do you have your antenna up, and are you aware of others' spiritual needs as we come and gather together on a Sunday morning? I kind of picture it like um, we're at the airport, you know, and, and those uh, TSA scanners. Like, what if we had one of those as we come in through the church, right? Like, uh, kind of one of these. And, and just a, a whole scan, right, of like what's going on in our thoughts and our emotions and what we're thinking as we're walking into the church building. That'd be kind of scary, I know, right? I mean, and some of us, you know, we're just like, I wonder if they've got some good donuts today. And they did today, if you were there, all right? Some really good donuts. Uh, someone was like, you know, I, I'm really exhausted. I hope the pastor doesn't go too long in his sermon because I'm, I'm way tired. To be more serious, others of us, as, as we're coming in, the, you know, we get the scan, 
I'm so lonely. And I don't think anybody here cares about me. My marriage is falling apart. And I don't know who I can talk to about it. One of my kids, man, I don't, I don't know what to do. I can't get inside their heart to, to change what's going on there. I, I wish somebody could, could help me and give me some advice and prayer on that. Just countless number of things that we bring in with us on a Sunday morning. And are we aware of one another, right? Are we taking the time to listen? So, so this, this, this is not just to, you know, worship together and, you know, sing together and hear God's word. We gather for the purpose of building one another up in the gospel. That's why we're here. And sometimes it's going to take action on your part if you're the one who's struggling to take initiative. You know, I... I was uh, helped by an article a while back by a man named Tim Challies. He wrote about um, this whole idea in our culture today that we would rather go to Google than to real people in our times of struggle. Right? Right? Yeah. So you're clicking on um, help for my marriage. You know, trying to find some information to help you. Um, you're clicking on uh, feeling lonely and depressed, really anxious, hoping to find some immediate information and help, right? And we go to Google, and we think this is all about getting answers and information that can be right at our fingertips, and we never use God's Google. <laughs> That's the local church. That's us. We got to go to real people. Listen, people who are in your Bible study, people who are in your growth group, people who are in your Sunday school class, people who you're rubbing shoulders with, it may not even be your good friends because you know sometimes your friends won't give you what you want to hear, or they will give you what you want to hear, and they won't give you the hard truth that you need to hear. And so we got to go to one another, humbling ourselves to approach another person and actually ask for help. This is not about quick information. This is about lasting transformation, and that's how our family can continue to grow. And so, be careful how you build, Paul says. Be careful how you build. Number one, it affects your eternity. Number two, it influences our entire church family. And then third and finally, it shows if you take God seriously. How you build shows if you take God seriously. Look at verse 17. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Remember the you here is plural. Some have used this verse to say suicide is the unpardonable sin. If you destroy your body, God will destroy you. That is not the teaching here, and that is not the unpardonable sin. I won't get into all of that. He is teaching us here, and what he's saying here is how we build the church, how we treat God's people is serious stuff. Don't mess with God's church. And in the context here, Paul is writing to a church that is divided, as you remember. There's a lot of pride, a lot of factions, a lot of division, jealousy, and strife. And so he's saying, you've got to be mindful of that. You've got to be vigilant to keep fighting for unity. And guys, right here, I think we're in a good place right now. I think we are unified, but we've got to be on guard and keep fighting for unity, to keep standing on the foundation of Jesus, to keep reminding each other of what's at stake here. God's church is precious to him, right? 
As we heard, we're the bride, right? He loves us. He sets us apart as holy. It's the place where he dwells. And because he is holy, we must be holy. Let me say this. I'm afraid in our culture today, in our Christian culture today, especially with this um, kind of millennial uh, 20s, 30s, there is an overemphasis on our brokenness and on our sinfulness to the extent that we've forgotten God's holiness. And hear me, we, we want to be a people that we, we acknowledge, hey, we're imperfect here. You can come here as you are, imperfect, struggling, broken sinner, and you'll be welcomed here. You will. But let's not forget that God calls us to holiness. So many songs today kind of sing about how God can empower me to get over my fears and my sadness and my brokenness. But where is the call to holiness and the majesty and the glory of God? I missed it. And even as I'm talking about that now, I kind of see some of you just backpedaling in your heart. Like, I don't know if I like him talking about God's holiness. We've been given a holy calling. He says at the very outset of the letter to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified, set apart in Christ Jesus, to be holy. So I am zealous for us to pursue holiness, to have a holiness movement begin in our church to where, listen, it's not just about, hey, we want to recruit an army of volunteers so we can keep doing what we're doing here to have ministry happen. No, we want to see you live this out in the workplace, in your home. In the mundane moments, we want you to be distinctively different from the rest of this world. This is a call to holiness, to be like Christ. God is building his church. We get to be a part of it. By the way, this is not a holier than thou. This is a humble posture. We're just being who we are in Jesus, set apart for him. And so... As we close, be careful how you build. Be careful how you build. It affects your eternity. It influences our entire church family. And it shows if you take God seriously. So let me end with a challenge and a warning. Here's the challenge. For you who are believers in Jesus Christ today, be careful how you build. Are you living a holy life? Are you building it upon the foundation of Jesus Christ? Know this, that what you do matters. How you live matters. You don't just say, hey, I'm a Christian, and then live like the rest of the world. How you live really truly matters, and it affects every one of us here in this church family. So be careful how you build. And then secondly, a warning to you who are still in unbelief. You have yet to give your life to Jesus Christ. I want to ask you this question what are you building your life upon? What's your foundation? Because all of us are building our lives upon something. And Jesus compares two builders, one who built upon the rock and one who built on the sand. Don't be like the foolish builder that when judgment comes, your life was built on sand and you will not stand in the judgment. Don't build your life on the sand of your own good works, but on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. You can't build a Christian life without Christ. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We need you.
In order for us to build upon the foundation of Jesus Christ in a way that would honor you, we need your help. Individually and as a church family, you're growing us into a spiritual temple for you to dwell. What an amazing thing that we get to be part of that building process. And I pray that we would be mindful of eternity that's coming soon, that our hearts would be motivated to influence others in our church family, to build one another up towards love and good deeds. And help us, Father, to to take your holiness seriously. Some of us just need to be reminded afresh that you are God and you are on your throne and you desire for us to be holy as you are holy. And so help us, even as we are fellow strugglers along the journey, to make movement toward you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.